This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. Get me back my It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all Coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, From John Carpenter. They control what you see. We have been lulled into a trance. They decide what you hear. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. You think they're people, just like you. What do these things want? Why are they here? You're wrong. Dead Wrong, John Carpenter's They Live, Rated R. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to our John Carpenter Appreciation Month, where we are talking about everything and anything John Carpenter-related and celebrating the life and works of this legendary director. This week, uh, week's episode, we are doing the 1988 shocker They Live, starring the one and only Rowdy 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 Roddy. Fucking Piper, and yes, that that's how I I, I introduce him. He 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 deserves that. And uh, joining me this evening is my lovely wife Patty. Hello, hello, hello. And Jesse Sykes and Marcus Cook. Thank hello. you. For joining us. Hello. Yeah, we used to for those uh, listening out there in internet land. Uh, we used to get together for a weekly uh, dinner and a movie uh, kind of date nights, but. COVID, you know, related issues. We have not been able to do that for a long time. So this is as close as we're going to get. So thank you to the interwebs. <laughs> Yay, Skype. <laughs> let's watch some crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of crazy shit, let's get right off into it. I mean, uh, this is directed by John Carpenter, written by him under the pseudonym Frank Armitage, and <laughs> produced by the legendary Sandy King. And... My first note here, uh, I don't know what y'all thought about this, but like just the the fade up when it the title of They Live comes up and it fades out perfectly into that line of graffiti. Yeah, that yeah. is amazing. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I noticed about the graffiti, I, I was really focused on the graffiti this time to try and figure out what the hell a lot of it meant. And I didn't really get a whole lot of anywhere. But one of the things I noticed in this opening shot, too, is one of the graffiti is tagged by in anger by. Um, and then it had some names, which I thought was kind of interesting and appropriate for <laughs> where we're going. Oh, that's cool. I don't think I've ever picked yeah. up on that before. That's a, that's a cool observation. <laughs> yeah, I missed that. I missed out of that entirely. But yeah, rowdy, rowdy fucking Piper. Uh, you know, what, what a, you know theatrical movie to to really get off into with your first starring role really i mean he did do you know hell comes to frog town which <laughs> did not have a 
legendary theatrical run. <laughs> but, you know, still is, is equally as badass as a movie. But, you know, as Nada in this movie, whose name, you know, you never really know his name, but he's just known in the credits as Nada, which translates to nothing, which I found to be very uh, almost sort of biblical in a way. But, yeah, Roddy Roddy Piper, bad motherfucker. He, he deserves all the accolades he gets for this movie. But uh, it is based on the short story, Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson, which was published originally in 1963. It's a very loose adaptation. I remember reading it when I was in high school. I don't remember much about it other than it's very, very uh, prophetic in, in a way, very uh, uh, Twilight Zone-ish. But I'm not sure if, if any of y'all read it. No. No, I, I have not read the, the short story yet. I, I can't tell you much about it. I don't remember, but it, it was uh, it, it was very basic, but very good at the same time. But the the first note that I have here is this this interviewer that Roddy Piper gets with that you know the government assistant that's trying to help him get a job couldn't be any less fucking interested in his story. <laughs> <laughs> I think before we even get into the story, I think we need to talk about the soundtrack for this film. I think that, you know, when you open up and you just see like the, the trains rolling across the track and him walking across the desolate city. Yeah. Just the soundtrack is just so iconic for this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's part of John Carpenter's legacy as being an amazing musician as well. And Patty and I were actually lucky enough to catch him in concert in, was it late 2017 when Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of the main the main theme song this movie opens up with. He played, and we I knew instantly what he was going to play as soon as he put on those damn sunglasses. I was just like in awe. <laughs> nice. <laughs> now this gets into my first question. We'll we'll talk a little bit about the movie, you know, uh, in a linear fashion. But I do want to ask a few questions tonight, and I'll pose the question to you folks first. Do you remember the first time you watched this movie and versus the last time you watched it, how your viewings on it has has changed from then? You know, uh, for me, I don't exactly remember the first time I watched it because it was like sort of just lumped into one of those like when you're a preteen and just marathoning any kind of horror film that you can get your hands on. (laughs) So um, I watched it and of course, like you know, liked the makeup and everything and, and that, you know, Rowdy was in it. But um, <clears throat> I, I don't think I took it, like, too much to heart. But it was one of them that I sort of, like, didn't watch for several years and then, like, got to thinking about it. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, as an adult, you kind of, it, like, sinks in more, you know, as you kind of learn the evils of government and capitalism and all that like stuff. You know? <laughs> and so um, I actually wound up programming it a couple of times as a film programmer, um, just to comment on the state of the world, you know, and, and sort of like bring it back around. And, and it was very interesting to watch it as an adult with, other adults um either people had missed it or like me they had seen it like when they were like a kid and um you're just like damn this like was really going there and saying a lot and it was interesting that it was coming out in the 80s because obviously that is arguably like the height of western 
consumerism right there, right? You know, Reagan era, everything is fine. Everybody just buy your shit <laughs> and everything's like mass marketed. Um, and uh, then the fact that, you know, a very popular wrestler <laughs> was like the star. It was also like very interesting to kind of like look back on and examine because wrestling itself uh, really depended on commercialism and sort of like smoke and mirrors. And I mean, I love wrestling. I'm a huge enthusiast, but you know, I can call it like what it is. So I thought it was an interesting choice to cast him in this and to also like make it in the eighties, um, as a very like damning, almost sort of poison pin to the culture. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I saw it, um, in the theater as a kid when it came out, um, and then again, you know, when it had the uh, VHS release, but I don't think I've watched it since then up until earlier today. Like, it was like, you know, I mean, there was so much iconic, you know, that I remembered from it, like iconic imagery, you know, but like, yeah, I don't think I'd ever watched it in o over 20 years. I was like, it holds up like way better than a lot of movies, you know over 20 years ago like hold up so uh yeah no it was it was really interesting and i think when i saw it like i i was never into wrestling so i didn't know him as a wrestler until later in life but yeah no it's um yeah it, the, it really holds up and and it it is it's like you know before the show black mirror i think you know this kind of was a black mirror at the time of our current <laughs> social, you know, capitalistic situation. Yeah, I, it has been, I don't know, a long time, but it was probably 12 years ago, something like that was the first time I saw it. So I was a little older when the first time that I saw it, but I definitely missed a whole lot of the nuance that I noticed this time. Um, you know, the first time I saw it, I think, you know, I think I was in college um you know you don't really have a great grasp of the world when you think you know it all <laughs> at the age of 20 um and so you know now looking back on it and just watching it today of just how relevant of a film it still is and just some of the points that they made when when cam and i were re-watching it we were just like oh well that that strikes a little fresh doesn't it um of just things and like programs that they talked about getting rid of or you know the conspiracy kind of theories and the theorists <laughs> um it, it really was kind of funny to watch how how closely it, it works in 2021 yeah i remember seeing it uh in the theaters myself i saw it in the drive-in and the wine drive-in in Maryville, indiana i was uh about 11 maybe 12 years old at the time and i strictly went to go see it because i it, even at the time i was a huge john carpenter fan but it was all about roddy piper i was huge into wrestling in that time I, I just wanted to go see it in the hopes to see him throwing one of those suplexes, which, you know, we do end up getting. But it was all about Viper. It was all about the action and the cool sunglasses and everything. But, you know, I've, I've watched this movie dozens of times, easily dozens of times. And it's aged very well for me. Uh, you know, it, as an adult, I think I have a finer appreciation of it past just the allure of having Bobby Piper in it, you know. And, you know, we have met Roddy Roddy Piper uh, a couple of times before he passed on, you know, Horror Hound and Days of the Dead, you know, so he, he was just a great guy. So it, it it's always like, you know, seeing an old friend when you get to watch this movie, 
but the kind of social commentary and the political relevance of this movie is so heavy in 2021. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah, this uh, seems befitting that we're covering this in the, in today's kind of political slash social uh, climate. But uh, I think, the, well, the, the, the next part we got, though, in the film is the iconic meeting of the street preacher at Raymond St. John. Uh, he is great. He is just on there, giving it his all, spitting truths. Uh, I mean, I, I, th- I always think of this as one of the most iconic scenes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. and there's, there's so much that he talks about that um, is really foreshadowing for the rest of the film, too. You know, like watching it, like we had talked about the first time versus the last time. There's so much when you rewatch it that you're like, ooh, he's just foreshadowing um, throughout the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because the way he words things and phrases things, like, you know, listening to that, like, I, I, yeah, I didn't remember the, the preacher until watching it again. And I was like, oh, wow, this, like, you know, uh, echoes what George Carlin was saying in one of his last stand-ups. And he's, you know, where he's like, you know, you have owners, they own you. <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, and he kind of says almost verbatim <laughs> what he's talking about. So I thought that was funny. I made a note uh, in my notes. I made a check and put our owners. They're all around you, all around you. And I made a note that said Carlin right there. I'm like, I, I, <laughs> I was okay, we're on the same page. Yeah. I thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I thought the the way he said it was like outside the limit of our sight. What I thought was it just such a a deep way to think about that. Yeah, especially you know coming from the the perspective of a blind man, you know, and that they were. He could see because, you know, I think I, I always kind of wondered in the story, was he the first one that kind of noticed what was going on because he was blind and he wasn't, you know, messed up with the signals that were being sent through the television screens and whatnot, because that kind of political mm-hmm. kind of programming and whatnot is socio, you know, mm-hmm. social commentary wouldn't be effective on him, you know, because yeah. he, he couldn't see. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he saw from a totally different perspective. But then, you know, like, I love the, the next, <laughs> you could uh, tell me what you think of this. I love the ne- the next scene we have is where Piper is not a, uh, goes to the construction site and wants to get a job. And the guy's just like trying to not, hi- trying to not hire him. He's like. And he's like, really? Well, can I speak to the uh, shop steward? And, you know, looking at the guys that are like drinking and smoking on the job. He's like, he knows better. He's, he's like, just, just hire me. Mm-hmm. And he's built like a brick shit house. Like oh, when you yeah. start doing work, you're just like, oh my god. Yeah, and there's a reason why he was a Golden Gloves uh, boxer. You, you know, he, he had those ham hocks for fucking fists. You know, jeez. You know, like no, no wonder they always said Piper was the type of person that you didn't want to get accidentally clocked by in the ring because he'd take your head off. <laughs> But then we get my next favorite character, Frank, played by Keith David. And Keith David, again, met him at a couple of shows. He is a stand-up guy, very personal, good dude. But he plays a very good guy character in this movie. You know, he's basically playing an extension of Childs from The Thing. He's got the same swagger, the same kind of, you know, early Samuel Jackson, fuck you kind of attitude. <laughs> you know, but... But he's a good dude, you know. I, I like the the fact that he's like, you know, hey, you know, you you need a place to sleep. 
you need some food, you know, come and follow me. But then like following up, you know, uh, there's an, there's a great exchange between him and Piper when he's just like, you know, I don't like anybody following me and, uh, or something, something to that effect. How'd the line go? Um, it was uh, something like, I don't know why you're following me. I need to know. And he had said, well, I, I'm not going to join anybody who I don't know where they're going. Ah, uh, that was like that. Yeah, that was it. But uh, yeah, and then when they get to the the uh, you know the uh, shanty town, once again, Keith David is much like the street preacher. He's spitting truths. You know, he's telling uh, you know, where's this kind of the same shit, different day? You know, explaining you know the the economic standpoint of the movie, where's. You know, basically the whole movie is a big play on Reaganomics or what was Reaganomics in the 80s. And John oh, yeah, trickle down. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's like, uh, you know, like I was saying before, it's so cool that we had that come out in the 80s because there was like, <laughs> to me, in my opinion, <laughs> getting slightly political, <laughs> there's still a very disproportionate amount of like Reagan worship <laughs> in 2021, even though like it's very easy, no matter what side of the fence you're on, to draw a direct correlation between the policies that that man created and like the mess that we have now, you know. And um, it's really cool to think about this movie coming up. And in the 80s and just saying, like, this is all bullshit. Like, your president is a piece of shit. <laughs> and, like, this is where, like, all of this is, like, heading. I mean, that's really, like, the subtext of Yeah, it. and al- almost <laughs> to the point where it was prophetic. Like, you know, oh, the middle class is going away. Mm-hmm. And so it's just going to be poor people and ultra-rich people who control everything. And, uh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's just, like, right, like, spot on. And... You know, um, it's just, I don't know, maybe relieving to see that people were aware of <laughs> back then because, you know, you still just get people who are, like, shocked and appalled when you're like, what do you mean Reagan messed up this country? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Of course he did. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a cool movie for that and very ballsy. And But I like how, you know, they're saying it between the lines too. And I think that sometimes filmmakers now who are understandably very angry at current events, they will create these films and it's supposed to be their social commentary, but it's so ham fisted. It's so over the head. It's so just like, you know, it, it actually like loses the audience, even if the audience agrees with them, because it's just like too much and they like lose sight of the storytelling. Whereas I feel like this is like a very great example of they're very clearly making their point, but you can also just like enjoy the movie, you know? Well, and one of the things I found really interesting about the the whole discussion with Keith David there too is you know, he's talked about it as one big game of like, this is just a bad game of life and how there's just so many, you know, things are stacked against them. And, you know, again, I think it kind of goes back to that commentary of uh, Jesse, like you said, sometimes it's kind of nice to see you like, yeah, okay, you are aware of some of those things back then, but we didn't do shit to fix or change it in the meantime. Um, but at least there was some awareness that yeah, going wrong. If anything, at least uh, Carpenter was aware in <laughs> '88 and wasn't afraid to say anything about it. But yeah. and I love that, like even in the shanty town, you know, 
they're still watching, you know, the television, you know, watching from the alleys or from the side of the street, watching the television through, you know, apartment windows and whatnot. And when that signal starts breaking through for the first time, you know, I, I love the fact that it causes them headaches because it's disrupting the signal that they've been force fed for so long mm-hmm. that, yeah, it's it's like Piper says at one point later on, you know, about not wearing the glasses for for too long, you know, you got to take them off because it starts feeling like a knife in the back of your brain, breaking that signal for so long. Yeah. Which is, is really kind of interesting too, when you think of all the kind of conspiracy theory things now, and you think of like all the, the thoughts about 5g and, you know, (laughs) the towers that are, are sending these signals and doing all of these things that it's a very, very kind of similar concept. Windmills cause cancer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and now I just kill a bunch of birds. Yeah. <laughs> just kill freedom and the bald eagle. <laughs> and we gotta, I gotta make a note here is genre veteran uh, Buck Flowers, George Buck Flowers. He is a treasure. He plays the same character in almost every single movie, you know, but he's great as, uh, I don't even remember, he's just the third homeless guy from the left. I forget what his name, yeah. name is yeah. in the movie. Wasn't he in, like, Cabin Boy? Like, I know I've seen him before. I was like, oh, I know this guy. Oh, he's been in so much stuff. I, I remember him in um, Drive-In Massacre, uh, Sorority Babe, Slimeball, Ballarama. Uh. He, he was in Wishmaster. He's the guy in Wishmaster that wishes cancer upon Reggie Bannister, and the Wishmaster grants it and gives... Reggie Bannister's character is the physician, the, the <laughs> rapid fire cancer that like takes him out in 30 seconds. I just remember that he should just get cancer and die. And I'm like, oh, that's the kind of character we're going with here. Yeah. I like some of the dialogue with the guy that's kind of the prophet over the, the airwaves, you know, talking about how they found the signal eight months ago. So the revolution is like fairly already in the works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they you know, when Nada gets introduced to the story. They've already been on to the signal for eight months. They're getting the glasses. You know, the truth, you know, and I, this is where I put, put a note in my uh, my notebook was, you know, they're safe only if they're not discovered and they're not exposed and the truth causes headaches. And it just seems very, again, prophetic, that the fact that the truth will cause your head to hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, you know, and at this point, Piper is already starting to suspect things because uh, Peter Jason's character, who was uh, in uh, Carpenter's previous flick, um, Prince of Darkness, which I think came out right before this, a year year or two before this, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, it was in, in the Mouth of Madness and I think one other. I think he might have been in Ghosts of Mars, but that's for another show another day. Then we start getting our glimpses of Cable 54, Station Cable 54. And, uh, you know, bit by bit, Piper is starting to see it, something is going on here. You know, I think he's, at least as much as we are, starting su- to suspect that, you know, something is rotten in Denmark. Mm-hmm. I think I, this is time when we take a short break from the, the story of the movie and go into another question I have for y'all. And, you know, there's so many things to remember about this movie between Piper and the, the, the great action, the great writing and whatnot. But what is your favorite, single favorite aspect of the film, whether it be the, a, the, a certain role, the music or the writing? What is your favorite aspect? Well, we haven't even 
reached that that plot point yet because we're getting there but you know obviously everyone's seen it like you know for me like my favorite is of course you know what the aliens look like <laughs> so i'm kind of jumping the gun i was trying to hold off on that but there's there is something so classically iconic the way they were done they're simple but they're disturbing beyond like measure and they they look like something straight out of Rod Serling's Twilight Zone, like the original. And I think I think their simplicity is what gets under your skin about them. The like weird, I don't I don't know. There's no I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Like it, it, it dips into uncanny valley, mm-hmm. and you know they are kind of hokey looking and simple, but some some reason that makes it more (laughs) it's almost like the familiarity of them Mm -hmm. you know and i think that like you touched on that like where it really is like going back to the old twilight zone like in their design so it's like a design that we're oh for lack of a better term like that we're comfortable with but it's like being presented in this very real very off context and it just it does feel off and i think in any other movie you're right like it would be like incredibly hokey but for some reason in that it's like very effective and it's just like one of those gags where you're just like uh this is i don't and, like looking at this <laughs> and i think rather than making them like you know buggy aliens or insects or you know whatever gray aliens and made them look more human but then with like kind of weird cartoonishly like done like skin blotches and the big never blinking eyes and then human teeth i think that right there lands it dead in uncanny valley where it looks like a person but it doesn't look like a person so it's (laughs) like you know i think it would be less effective if they were like you know creaturey aliens and not very human looking I, uh, for me, it's the, uh, it, it is the verbiage that he sees, like, when he puts on the glasses. And, of course, the classic Obey, which, you know, Shepard Fairey would go on to incorporate industry art, which is great, mm-hmm. uh, and pair with Andre the Giant, um, which is just an awesome, there's a reason why that street art took off and became so iconic, you know, is because it's, it's a great mashup. It's really brilliant. But um, it, it was just, like, so interesting you know, like, this is your God, you know, and obey, and all these, like, messages, and you're, like, and it really, like, hits you, like, over the head, but you're just, like, damn, that really is what this, like, shit is, you know, and and just all these, like, little things that are, like, popping up on, like, everyday advertisements, or, like, you know, your, your cash, or things that are on your person, I just, like, I'm still always, like, very fascinated with that element of the movie. Mine's very similar to yours, Jesse. The for me, it's it's that underlying idea of, you know, you can be walking around having this existence and not even realizing that there's something horrific going on around you. Um, and so it's one it's that for me, it's that realization moment when he puts those glasses on just to realize like, oh shit, like the things that are going on are happening right underneath my nose and I had no idea any of this was happening. And just that that unsettled feeling that comes about from that is just so powerful that it just makes you almost just kind of second guess the world around you. Yeah, I I, I gotta agree with uh, both of you, Patty and Jess. Uh, it, it's that moment when he puts the glasses on and he starts seeing the world for what it is, and everything is 
and it's all also very uncanny that when you know you put on the glasses everything goes to black and white i love that aspect of it but just looking at the, the money that says this is your god and it just says you know signs that say work eight hours sleep eight hours play eight hours mm-hmm. obey consume you know marry and mate you know and just it, it truly is very uh well like you said marcus it's very um Twilight Zone is it's very Rod Serling, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you know, makes you literally question everything around you. And uh, it's, to me, it's, it's a cross between that and <laughs> and depending on what day you ask me, it, and it's either that aspect or the infamous fight scene. But we'll get to the fight scene soon enough because I'm sure we'll probably spend a, a good chunk of the, this discussion on that, but I won't get too far, far ahead of myself. As a quick side note, um, interestingly enough, I actually would love, this is one of the few movies that I would love to actually see a re-envisioning of. I don't like to say, like, remake, because I would hate to see it, like, done exactly like it was, you know, originally. But, like, um, someone in the realm like Jordan Peele or, you know, to really, like, take those reins and, like, apply it to systemic racism, like, within this country, and just kind of use it as, like, you know, that whole, like, I'm walking around not realizing, you know, the bad things that are, like, really, like, happening, like, just under the surface, and it would be cool to see someone, like, sort of take that on, like, in the subject matter, and just, like, push that, like, a little further, and then also speak to classism, like, even further, and um, I don't know, it would just be, like, kind of interesting to see that I think if anyone was interested in taking that on, of course, like horror fans would like, you know, bitch and write angry letters, thousands of comments deep about it. But, you know, (laughs) personally, I think that there's, there's still like a lot of room to say something like with the subject matter. So it would be cool to like have that in a perfect world. (laughs) Oh, if only, right. If only, (laughs) I think the next scene that strikes me as really uh, iconic in this is when they're, you know, Piper finds that that the church is, you know, not what it seems. You know, shortly after that, after he encounters the street preacher in there and discovers that, you know, there's really nobody in there singing. It's just a reel-to-reel tape deck. And right after that, we get the, the next you know, interruption of their daily news. And uh, the note I made here is that there's outbreaks of violence, uh, modern day check. There's an, uh, there's an epidemic in the streets, uh, modern day check. A, a cold that's affecting people and making people sick that they talk about, also modern day check. And yeah. it's this real end of the world type stuff. You know, like I'm hearing rumors on the streets, I think is what George Buck Flowers says. And <laughs> it all hits very very close to home this you know with present day uh climate and whatnot is it's again very prophetic that way and then we get uh, the infamous assault on shantytown yeah <clears throat> and police uh, come in with their bulldozers and just like <laughs> no fuck you poor people <laughs> and, and- <laughs> these people had nothing to begin with they had these little shanty shacks and, and then they were living in squalor had nothing and they're just going to come in with their bulldozers and take everything out and just destroy it all. I mean, yeah, they're there. They're working for the the, the the aliens, as we'll find out later on. But still, 
it, it this makes a my gut just twinge in pain every time I see it. I'm like these poor fuckers. Oh, and and it's I mean it's still very real. Like L.A., you know, definitely a hard you know homeless population, like seventy five thousand and growing. Um, but when I was living out there, we lived right under the four hundred five or right next to the four hundred five, um, and you know every couple of months you'd start to see like more and more tents and shopping carts and like kind of you know a little mini community just like these you know shanty towns and they live but like at some point like a fire truck would come through and just hose them and just spray them and then they'd kind of pack and clear up and they'd clear all the you know the tents and sheets and you know boxes and everything and it'd be like a clean underpass again and then little by little you'd start to see like you know more coming back and more coming back and then you know that would go on for a couple of months and then here comes the fire trucks again and spray water and hose them out and it's like i'm like well, I mean, what what are they hoping to achieve they're not like getting rid of them like they're gonna go somewhere you know and it's just like it's it's really man that's that's fucked up you know both to have to be in the position that the homeless are in and that the fact that this is how the city treats them absolutely yeah i mean just the you know you're already dealing with people who don't have a lot and you know they're carrying the few possessions they have on their back or in a backpack and then you know just to treat them so inhumanely is is just ridiculous and that's part of that whole rich people versus poor people and uh, <laughs> the one percenters and whatnot. Well, it then comes down to that consumerism kind of component of the movie, too, of, you know, if you don't have a money to be a consumer, then we don't really give a fuck about you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, uh, I mean, slight tangent side rail. But like, you know, okay, like we're all in lockdown. A lot of us, you know, haven't been able to work um, for the last year. And, you know, so it's, it's affecting a lot of people. But then you notice like, oh, wait a minute. Jeff Bezos just made like, you know, 49 more billion in the time all of us lost our jobs. Like, oh, that should be eye opening to people right there, I think. But yeah, the, the poor attack on Shantytown, though, the, the, the saddest part of that is, you know, Piper sees it coming. You know, he, he's, he sees it coming, but uh, he's pretty much almost like a bystander. You know, while all the action's kind of going on around him, people are being beat down, they're being, you know, their, their belongings are being ransacked or being bulldozed and whatnot. And he's just kind of not really like not doing anything, but at first he's just kind of witnessing it all go down. And when he sees the poor street preacher fighting off, you know, these SWAT team members and they're beating up, a, uh, they're beating up a poor blind man. Like, what, what, what point could that, you know, possibly make for the, these people, you know, like, just arrest them. Like, if that's what you're there for, just, just, just arrest them. You ain't got to beat a, a, an old blind preacher half the death. Of, I mean. Oh, and that's, that's another thing I, I actually really liked about you know, on this new view, like, you know, I mean, I remember lots about it, 
But yeah, the subtlety of like Rowdy Rowdy Piper is he's like an outsider and an observer. And for the most part, he doesn't get involved until he has to get involved, until he realizes like, oh, fuck, there's something really fucking weird. And no one believes him. Like once he figures it out, like no one believes him. It, yeah, it was during this scene that it just makes you go, okay, who the fuck is this guy? And why is he just so unfazed by the amount of things that are going on around him? You know, he's just kind of observing and, like you said, just kind of staying out of the way, staying, you know, out of their direct line of of hurt. Um, mm-hmm. But you really don't know anything about him or his background or what he's seen beforehand, which tells you that he's probably seen some shit. Yeah. Yeah, he is is uh, he's the exact opposite of Snake Plissken. Snake Plissken, <laughs> uh, Snake Plissken, everybody knows who he is. Everybody's like, yeah, it takes one look at him. They're like, yeah, I know who you are. And they know all about him. Like, you know, as soon as they realize him, like, oh, I know you, Snake. Nobody knows this guy. Nobody mm-hmm. knows the deal. Nobody knows what he's about. Nobody really knows where he's from. I mean, he makes a mention of being from Denver. I think he says, and being in and around Cleveland at one point, it, you know, and that's really all we know about him. And he and, wears a wedding ring. Yeah. And he wears a w- wedding ring. I mean, that's, and that's really also, you know, he is married or at least was married and he's from Denver and that's like really all we're ever given. We're never again, you know, never given a name. He is <clears throat> essentially kind of Clint Eastwood, you know, the man with no name in this movie, mm-hmm. which they kind of makes sense because, you know, John, anybody who knows anything about John Carpenter knows how huge of a Western fan he is and how, you know, a lot of his movies had Western themes like this one, uh, you know, Ghosts of Mars, Salt on Precinct 13. So I think it's very much a kind of Western-y kind of, you know, accent to the film. But, you know, uh, when he escapes, when, you know, he escapes from Shantytown and, you know, he, he finds the kid that gave him the, his uh, binoculars that he was spying on the church with, you know, and, and he, He's, you know, we don't ever even learn that kid's name, but, you know, you end up caring about him because you want, you know, you, you want to, don't want to see this kid hurt like everybody else. But when he saves him and they get back to uh, whatever that little tenement building that they end up hiding in and the guy's that's obviously high as a kite. And he's like, so what's going on out there, man? Somebody start World War Three or something. And this is like, oh, buddy, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no idea. And, and we really still at this point, you know, we've touched base on, you know, the aliens and what they're doing and whatnot. But at this point in the movie, you still don't know that it's, quote unquote, aliens, you know, yeah. it, you just think it's like an evil regime, you know, trying to, take, you know, take over and make, you know, the re- <laughs> poor people pay the price for being poor is what I put down is <laughs> like, that's basically what you think you're doing. Like, okay, you know, you haven't uh, dealt with enough. We're going to make you pay the price for just being fucking poor. You know, like, fuck you poor people. And it's it's just sad. It's, it's a sad commentary to watch, you know, watching the, the police, you know, beat up on old men and whatnot. It's just, yeah, it, it doesn't paint a very good uh, social picture <laughs> for what we're in right now. But, you know, when he, when he goes back and gets those glasses and he, he goes to first put them on you know is i i just kind of wonder like you know i know it's a movie i know it's all make-believe but it's like do you think he really knew what he was in for he, you know piper's character suspected something was going on he knew something weird was happening and everything was not you know 
the, the veneer of the, on the surface was not, you know, it was not all as it seems. But I, do you think he ever had any kind of inclination to where this was going? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like he's a man that had definitely seen some shit, but I don't think he he suspected aliens. <laughs> I don't think that's your first thought when you put on a pair of sunglasses of I'm going to see an alien universe underneath this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now I got uh, this. Is the next question I got to ask since this is the next big scene, so I'll ask all all you folks this question. Uh, you know, the, the sunglasses are what helps him see or what helps everybody to see the, the real world underneath and his reaction to seeing, you know, the, the, the signs, you know, with all the controlling words and phrases on them and then fucking aliens. <laughs> That's all you got to know. Uh, you know, do you think you would react the same way that Piper reacts in this movie with that incredulous kind of like, I can hardly believe what I'm seeing. I mean, how, how do you think you would react to seeing this new world? Oh, I mean, that, that's kind of like a hard one just because it, it is like so relevant to now. <laughs> and um, I think that, I mean, obviously I'm speaking in very general terms, but I think everyone at some point, like at least initially acts out of self-interest. Um, and by that, it doesn't always mean that it's something that's like self-serving. Um, but uh, it's something that you're going to approach something in a way where you can feel good about yourself and situation at the end of the day. And um, I think that that's just like a very natural approach to things. <laughs> and um but I think what this movie is maybe calling people to do is to be more proactive, um, you know, at the first early warning signs, you know, I think it's asking you to listen to people outside of your scope. I think it's asking you to act a little quicker, um, which is kind of like a little bit of the magic of, of his character too, you know, is that we, it really does represent us. <laughs> And how hard it is to get people to act when you bring up something, too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> to get on the glasses, man. How is it so difficult? <laughs> if I saw what he saw through the glasses, I'd just put the glasses back down and just go about my day. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think that would be, like, really fun. You know, just, like... You'd be in that state of like, what? <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, I think I would be convinced I was having a psychotic break. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> the, the brain finally just did its thing and it's no longer taking applications. It's done. And <laughs> like, Check, all right, <laughs> I'm having right now. <laughs> I'd probably question uh, all the acid I did in my 20s. <laughs> As uh, a first question, you know, I had uh, some very trippy days when I was in my early to mid twenties, and uh, I probably questioned if that wasn't some sort of acid flashback. And I think once I would come to terms with that, I would probably have pretty much the same reaction Piper did. I would probably end up saying something that would get me in trouble and get them to go, "I got one that can see," and then I'd be fucked. Uh, that's exactly what would happen. I because I. I would say something like 
like Piper did. You know, he's got that great one-liner when he starts um, seeing the aliens for what they are, and he bumps into the one lady, and uh, <laughs> he's like, you look like old cheese dip. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> look, you had fell in the cheese dip back in 1957. He's like, yeah. you, you're, you're all right, but this one, real fucking ugly. But, <laughs> and I love that part because I feel like it's the first time we see Piper just not as the character Nada, but just as straight up Piper. Like, I feel like that was the first time Piper just like kind of cut loose and just kind of went with his wrestling persona and whatnot. You know, that that's the kind of Piper, the, the sarcastic asshole that I remember and love so much from, you know, the wrestling days of the early WWF. <laughs> yeah. That's a, the first time when he, when he puts on those glasses and he sees them and he's like, you know, I don't like this one bit. Not one bit. <laughs> That's pretty much the way I think I would react. But, uh, God, you know, when we had to pause it when we were watching it the other night, when there's that, that city shot, the big, you know, wide panoramic view and all the billboards, I got all the different sayings on there. And we were trying to write down as many of them. I only got about three of them written down, but I think Patty's got quite a few of them written down what were some of them hun oh yeah i mean i was i was surprised how many of them because i didn't remember there being that many different ones either i just remembered a handful of them um i I think the the famous ones are like the obey and the marry and reproduce um like the no thoughts conform surrender the ones that i i thought really were interesting were like the do not question authority and stay asleep kind of like commands of you know what it's telling you to do mm-hmm. and and i love how like yeah i mean with all the different sayings on all the magazines print ads uh billboards like only money is the one that says this is your god yeah <laughs> yeah and how true yeah. is that right <laughs> yeah you know how, how's the the phrase going fight club you know here we are killing ourselves to you know to buy shit we don't need you know, working a job we hate to buy shit we don't need it. Yeah, you know, again, two movies that are very prophetic in, in that kind of way. Yeah, uh, and, and again, another movie we talk about often that, like, you know, there's there's like two camps of people with like Fight Club. There's like people <laughs> who are like, I'm gonna start a Fight Club, and it's like, okay, you missed the point of the movie. <laughs> like, did you not just watch that movie? It's like saying I'm gonna go to the mall after watching They Live. You know, it's like no, you're not. <laughs> I must buy something right now. Um, yeah, we're, you know, the things you own end up owning you, mm-hmm. you know, is like Fight Club. And it's, you know, again, a, a, another very prophetic truth that I think is in, you know, the same vein that, like, you know, all of this is, you know, consumerism is consume, obey, listen, you know, don't, <laughs> don't do this, don't, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, then we get the the when Piper kind of he he gets out, ousted, he leaves the little uh, wasn't a diner, it was a grocery store. Sorry, and uh, you know when he uh, accidentally called the lady uh, cheese dip lady, <laughs> <laughs> and he when he falls over and all of them are just talking into their wristwatches and there's he's surrounded by the aliens all muttering got stuff. One that can see us. <laughs> like that one that can see and is just like nope, nope. Exit stays left. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Only to be encountered by two alien cops. And again, uh, I got to agree with what you said, something uh, uh, a, a way bit earlier there, Marcus. 
was the aliens, you know, like he even says at one point, and he's like, you know, you, you, you cut yourself shaving this morning. He's like, well, you guys look as shitty as up to us as we do to you. <laughs> and he's like, that's possible. <laughs> you know? And it is, it is true. I kind of, I, I do wonder, like, if to them we looked as creepy and as, as, as scary to them as, you know, as, as they did to, to, to him. But, uh, yeah, uh, Piper wrecks shit with these cops. This is the, the part of the movie that I remember when I first watched it as a kid that was starting to get to the stuff I liked. I wanted to see Piper wreck shit. And, <laughs> you know, because that was just who he was back in the day. As he, he said, you know, he was the reason why Hulk Hogan lost his hair. <laughs> but uh we gotta talk about we gotta talk about what your favorite line is in this movie because I, I i'm gonna take the reins on this one and actually go first and then i'll let you guys go <laughs> because i'm so giddy to talk about this when he takes out the two cops <laughs> he goes into the bank uh and he just you know i don't think he really had a plan i think he was just like he, I think he realized how futile everything was, and he was just going to go out with a bang. I don't think he really expected to make it probably out of that bank. But when he just throws out that one-liner, if I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum, I am sorry. Anybody can feel free to disagree with me and fight on this, but that is the greatest line of this movie and the greatest line of any movie. Of any movie. Yeah. Now, I, I got to ask you folks if... If if you agree with that, if that's your favorite line, or do you have a favorite one liner other than that in this movie? I I always liked when yeah he he called the lady like you know cheese dip face like old cheese dip. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. Like really old cheese dipper. <laughs> um, I agree with you, uh, Cameron. That's that's my favorite line. That's a pretty. That's a pretty iconic line, one that I uh, I definitely uh, use and swap out in my day to day life. So <laughs> yeah, that that's got to be my favorite. <laughs> well, you should. It should be used in everyday life. <laughs> yeah, I, three votes on that. I I've got that's what my bookmark is in my book right now. It has that quote on it. Um, <laughs> but I I think the the other one, if I go with kind of a different round, if it's not iconic, but one that. I think scared me the most when I looked at this was when she does the line of, I have one that can see like, that was just such a creepy turn in the movie of like, Oh fuck. They've got self-awareness too, to realize like when these people can see them. Um, And that was just like a point where you're like, Oh, oh, he is in so much more trouble than he realizes with these glasses. (laughs) Like when he puts those glasses back on after he first sees her, He's like, when I take these on, she looks like a regular person. I put them back on from maldehyde face. You, know? you you're okay. <laughs> you, this real fucking ugly. But yeah, when, when he gets, and can you imagine what these poor people thought in the bank? You know, because he doesn't just you know, go willy-nilly and just start shooting everybody. He is methodical. He starts taking out the aliens. I think his mode of thinking, I'd would love to pick his brain and to like what was the thought behind him going into that place to take him out. But I, I figure he probably thought, well, I've been found out. The cops are in on this. How, how long can I get away? And I might as well just take out as many of these fuckers as I can. But for everybody that was still left in that bank that didn't get, you know, they had to be like freaking the fuck out. You mm-hmm. know, they're just 
guy just randomly walks into the place and just starts shooting everybody completely random? I can only imagine. I just had a, a thought that actually hadn't occurred to me until right now. So we had talked about how, you know, on the money it has the this is your God. It's almost like he's then walking into the temple be, with it being a thing. Oh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Damn. Hey, well, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's damn good right there. And as many times as I've, as I've watched this, I should know it like the back of my hand. I've never thought of that. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know, like, when the uh, when Piper's getting ready to shotgun the one guy, when he's like, Mama, don't like tattletales. You know, I think at this point, Piper was just pulling out every one-liner in his little book of tricks that he had that he hadn't used in WWE. And, and, and do you think they were, like, scripted one-liners, or do you, do you think uh, Carpenter just let him, like, run with it? Well, Carpenter did let him run with it, because uh, I remember reading somewhere many, many years ago. I don't remember if it was in a Fangoria or Cinema Fast. Of a fantastic magazine or Starlog or something, but Piper had showed up with a notebook folded up in his pocket that had one liners that he had written, you know, uh, you know, like shoot interview type stuff for his, you know, wrestling persona that he had just never used. And mm. that, and one of the ones at the top of the list was his, you know, Mama Don't Like Tattletales and uh, the Chewing Bubblegum line. And that was just a line that he had written in. Uh, and apparently Carpenter let him just roll with it half the time. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I realize, too, that, you know, Piper's, you know, as they, people want to say, you know, like Hogan or The Rock or whatnot, he's just just a wrestler. But he really has some presence in this movie. He's very stoic and very much like a kind of like a man with no name or Shane type character, very much, an, you know, old Western type of gunslinger character that, I would uh, love to see like a novelization of this. Uh, I'm not sure if there ever was a novelization, but would have loved to like seen or read something that would have given some, you know, some sort of backstory to his character. So I felt like there was so much more there. Yeah, I, I definitely think like he probably just did develop something like in his own head. Um, which is more than what I think a lot of like wrestler to actor types like do. Like I, I really get the sense that he was actually like trying with this role and that he was like taking it like seriously. Oh yeah, for sure. I think he also knew the magnitude of you know going from something like Hell Comes to Frog Town to this that he had that the level of movie that he had made was making had stepped its quality, so he had better stepped up his own quality, you know, and really like give it his all you could tell he was putting everything on the line for this and i also like you know the fact that when he leaves the the bank a little nuance of the of the little like shuttle or whatever you can say the little spaceship that you know was spying on him that these little things are again something that you can't see but only without only with the glasses yeah they got their own drones <laughs> that's ahead of its time yeah yeah <laughs> again you know prophecy comes true and then uh, we get to the, the part of the movie where it starts to make a turn because we get the introduction of the holly character yeah and, and meg, meg foster oh yeah <laughs> meg foster meg foster's eyes 
the creepy oh, size. Like Betty Davis eyes, it's Meg Foster eyes. <laughs> and this is the first movie I ever remember seeing her in. I know she had worked in a lot of stuff before this, but as a kid, you know, this was the, my first introduction to her, and I never forgot those eyes. They're some piercing Betty Davis eyes. But I don't know if something we want to get into now, because we know where, having, having mm-hmm. seen the movie before, where her character ends up, but I never trusted her from the beginning. The first time I saw this movie from the very first viewing, I'm like, she's going to be somebody's undoing. <laughs> I think that then comes down to the question of when is she exactly changing into that undoing point, though? When is she actually in on it that she's going to be part of the undoing? Because at this point, like at the the point where she's just hijacked, I don't think she that's part of the plan yet. I think no. she was just caught up in it and then has made a deal that you can't refuse. Yeah, because there is a point later on. I can't remember how much later on it, it, it uh, comes into play when they run back into P- Peter Jason's character later on and they uh, are talking about how humans are now being recruited. And I think that, that it's, it's, you know, again, it's foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, give them, give them money and fill their bank accounts, and you know, <laughs> yeah. And and she's, you know, obviously working with the station, so like, you know, it makes sense that she already knew what was going on. <laughs> yeah, because when he hijacks her, I mean, he, you know, he obviously he's just looking for a way out of there to get away from the cops because they're all on his ass. You know, I don't think he had any idea what he was getting into with her. And I don't think she had any idea what she was getting into with him. You know, it, it was just a you know, a not-so-happy accident, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when he gets into uh, her house, you know, when she he makes her drive back to her place just to kind of get someplace to lay low and, and, and rest for a moment, when he starts to fall asleep, on the floor and he's starting to nod off and she just makes one step and he without even opening his eyes he's like just don't fuck with me (laughs) yeah because i mean i think at this point she's just convinced he's just a crazy guy um Mm. she's just convinced that he's you know that there's something out to get him and he's just kind of this paranoid guy because um, she makes the comment, too, of like, okay, if I don't look through the glasses, I'm, or if I don't see it through the glasses, I'm still going to tell you I see it. Because I'm not going to try and anger or crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. I, and, you know, the thing is, though, when she does, like, belt him over the head and sends a Piper flying out the window and down, down like, her, was her, like, her, like, condo overlooking a cliff or something? Because that's one hell of a long fall he takes. Oh, it's, it's she's yeah. Like they didn't show like layouts, but it looked like she lives somewhere up in like the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she thinks quick, you know. I'm like, uh, you know, he, he's our hero of the movie, so we're rooting for him. But you kind of got to root for her for a second because she, she does think pretty quickly on her feet. Because all she knows is this is the guy that's shotgunned a bunch of people and he's killed people and he's talking about, you know, there's people that you can only see with special glasses. Yeah. <laughs> You wouldn't buy that e- either if somebody kidnapped you, especially you'd be like, listen, I'm going to walk on eggshells around this guy and I'm making the first move to take him out <laughs> as soon as I can. And that's exactly what she does. But, you know, it, it was like you said, Patty, the other night when we were watching this, like, oh, lady, I'm a professional professional wrestler. It's going to take a lot more than that to take me out. <laughs> Good try, though. Good try. 
Yeah, she gave it the old college try, but. <laughs> and again, if people would just put on the fucking glasses, he has so much issue with putting on sunglasses. That I wear the glasses. Like, I, I don't think there's ever been a time in my life if somebody was like, hey, try these on, that I wouldn't be like, okay, let me. <laughs> right. In the future, everyone is very suspicious of glasses. <laughs> right. And they they live is the reason why people will not fucking listen to about putting on glasses, just like putting on masks. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. That's the people won't put on a mask, and they're like, "Why? No, I don't want to." And it's like, just do this. But again, like I said, never didn't trust Meg Foster from from dime one in this movie. I knew she was going to be nothing but trouble. Just. You know, it's those eyes, man. You can't trust. You can't trust a woman with eyes like that. You can't. The person <laughs> is this. They're that creepy. Nope. Just don't buy it. She's in cahoots with the aliens. Now, I think it's kind of the realistic kind of portrayal of the violence in this, because the way Piper reacts. I mean, let's face it. He probably would have broken his neck and his back. You know, after a fall like that. But it's not just like. It's like after the big fight that's coming up here very soon, you know, the kind of more or less realistic betrayal of the violence. You know, there's, you know, a price to pay. It's not like watching some of these new Marvel movies or Marvel shows, you know, where people can take 20 punches to the head. They maybe got a trickle of blood at the corner of their mouth, but five minutes later, they're not even bruised. These guys get messed up and we might as well get into the, the big kahuna as I call it, the big six-and-a-half-minute fight scene <laughs> that I put down here is holy shit. Uh, it's, it's the original predecessor to, like, the family guy, like, Peter Chicken fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And th- th- this is what I took away from this movie the first time I saw it. When I saw it at the drive-in when I was a kid, was this fight scene. It was just, like, everything else in the movie just pretty much did not matter. You know, it was just just brutality and it was just ongoing and all over not putting on a pair of glasses. <laughs> you know, I, I know that there's a scene uh, that's a prelude to this where Piper shows back up at the construction site and tries to get Frank on his side. And, you know, he's like, how many people did you kill? And he's like, not people. It's like, okay, nobody's going to leave you, dude. You know, but at the same time, you know, when he pops back up later on, even with all the trouble going on with the assault on Shantytown, Piper, you know, committed a, a mass murder as far, far as Frank knows. Frank still shows up, follows him. With money. Yeah and, yeah. and and tosses him. He's like, it's a week pay, week's pay. It's the best I can do. You know, and these guys are all homeless, you know, and barely squeaking by on what, the, the, you know, what little they're making. He still is a stand-up guy, and he's like, okay, this guy might be a psychopath, but he was my friend for a couple of days, at least. Yeah. I'm going to give him a week's pay. I mean, what a stand-up guy. Or at least, I don't know. I mean, that's what I took away from it. Yeah. <laughs> God, I mean, I've never seen two men literally beat the ever-loving shit out of each other. Bash each other's balls in until they were, like, hamburger paste. You know, <laughs> bite each other, suplex each other, ram each other's heads into the concrete. It's the most dragged down, brutal fight I think I've ever seen. You know, is it the best choreographed fight in the world? No, but it, it is to me the most memorable fight ever. I mean, so memorable that 
South Park even like recreated it with the infamous cripple and pretty much like recreated it shot for shot, punch for punch. I, I love it. I mean, uh, what's your guys' uh, takeaway from this like big six minute scene of brutality? <laughs> it's, it, I, I don't know. It's like my sense of humor is run on comedy, <laughs> like it just doesn't <laughs> stop. Um, but I think, like, I, I haven't seen um, the South Park episode, but, like, obviously, you know, Family Guy, when Peter and the chicken fight, it's just, like, this, like, you know, six or seven minute, like, long fight scene that just won't end. Like, I, because I, it, it, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, that's that's enough. And then it goes on a little further, and you're like, okay, this isn't funny anymore. And then it's still going on, and then something magical happens. It's fucking hilarious. And that's how that <laughs> fight scene is for me. It's, it's, just, it's like, okay, this is ridiculous. Okay. Oh, okay, this is amazingly ridiculous. <laughs> oh, and like, oh, yeah. oh, and it's still not done. <laughs> yeah, because there's several like fake outs in it too, where you're like, okay, they're they're kind of going to shake and make a oh nope nope not quite yet. Yeah, just when you think it's over, one of them takes another swing and they go back into it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a. I mean, the scene that's there, it it does stick out a little bit like a sore thumb, and I think it was just sort of like a flex too. They're like, well, you know. Piper's in this, and we know people are gonna like want to see him fight, you know. So I think it was just kind of like a weird, almost like filler <laughs> because it is extended in this like very awkward time frame, you know. So yeah, I think that that scene was was about flexing a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely. Mean, it definitely feels so much longer than you would expect it to. Um, that you're just like, okay, we 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 get it, we get the point of that. Um, but I mean, it, but like you said, it, it gets to a point where it, it's just so entertaining by the end of the, that you're like, okay, that it was worth keeping that in just for how ridiculous it ends up being. Yeah. I think the one part where, uh, Piper tries to punch, uh, Keith David in the balls and he deflects it and he's like, oh, you dirty motherfucker. And then <laughs> like 60 seconds later, he like knees Piper in the balls, like five, five. times. <laughs> times in a row and just like you know you you, you mashed his balls into paste on the first hit the, the the next four hits were just excessive <clears throat> but uh and it still has one of my best one of my favorite one-liners and again it's uh kind of like you said jesse uh, about having a line that you use in your day-to-day life <laughs> when when he tells him, you, you, when Piper tells uh, Keith David, and he's like, you know, you either put on those glasses or start eating that trash can. And mm-hmm. he just, not this year. And, and that's the phrase that I use. Such a simple phrase, but I probably use it at least <laughs> once a week in my Regularly, daily life. Regularly, yeah. yeah. Patty can attest to that, that I say that all the time. She's probably tired <laughs> of hearing about it. But uh, this is the question I have, and I mean, uh, it's another question about the fight. It's, it's the one aspect of it that, by uh, suspension of disbelief, just kind of wonders what the hell's going on. Uh, and I'll be interested to get your input on this because I have no idea what, where where this came from. When Piper grabs the two by four and he swings it at, at uh, Keith David and takes out the window of the car, mm. it starts laughing. 
And then he starts laughing. <laughs> and then Keith David gets all pissed off and smashes the bottle he's, he's holding. Like, was that supposed to have been his car? <laughs> yeah, they never answer because they don't show them, like, driving off with it, you know? No, yeah, they just take off on, on foot. But I've never, <laughs> never seen him with a car before. He's always on foot. He's always walking. But I just, I don't understand why, like, he got, why he thought that was so funny, why Piper thought that was so funny, and why Keith David got so pissed off. I, I, I can only assume that he was as pissed off because he took a swing at him with the two-by-four and sprayed him with broken glass. <laughs> but I don't know what you, your folks' take on that was. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Part of me, like, wonders if that was an accident. Like, and they just kept it in the film. That's what I kind of wondered, too. It was like, you know, did they accidentally just break that window? And they're both like, well, we're still rolling. Let's just go with it. <laughs> they're like, well, I'm like that, that was that, that was the PA's car. <laughs> he was out getting everybody some Starbucks at the time. He came back and they're like, listen, Joey, we're sorry about your car. Take it up with Piper. <laughs> Like that guitar and Hateful Eight. Like, do y'all know the story behind that? <laughs> Anecdotally, oh, I I do. I but yeah, go ahead. Oh uh, yeah, so um, just kind of uh, speaking of props that weren't meant to be destroyed, but they like kept rolling. Um, so uh, that scene in Hateful Eight, you know, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's like playing the guitar, and that's like this very rare like as in like one of the only ones like left on earth version of that guitar and um, Tarantino was like super super like specific he's like I don't want a reproduction it has to be like the real fucking one you know with like the strings how they would have made them back in the day and all this kind of shit and so he actually like talked this like fucking um, museum into letting them use this guitar okay and there was a prop one made that looked exactly like it well you know she so she sings her song and oh fucking he the homeboy was like supposed to wait for cut before he grabs <laughs> it out of her hands um he was so amped up to do that scene that he like yanks the guitar the real guitar out of her hands and smashes it against the wall and so that shocked look that jennifer jason lee has is her trying to be like no what are you doing stop but he thinks that she's just acting because the camera's rolling <laughs> <laughs> he actually smashed a, a priceless guitar in that scene. Oh. So, yep, that like little moment, like where she's like playing it and everything. That's literally the last time that guitar got used because he <laughs> missed his cue and smashed the guitar. <laughs> so yes, that does happen in movies sometimes. So yeah, maybe they really did just bust somebody's guitar and they were just kind of like laughing about it because it's like, oops, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think like Kurt Russell meant to. You know, smash that. No, no. <laughs> that was not supposed Roll to happen with. like that way. They were supposed to wait for cut and then swap out for the prop guitar, but he didn't wait for his cue. <laughs> make Pliskin oh. messing shit up, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing like this comical version of them all just sitting around with like bubble gum and like paper clips trying to like put the shit back together <laughs> before. Oh, yeah, game. right. <laughs> See, good as new. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind the, the fact that there's only one string left on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this big ass fight, this this huge ass fight all over because one guy just wouldn't put on the goddamn sunglasses. 
That's where I take away from it. But yeah, uh, I I do love the fact that these guys, when they're you know, once he he get once Piper gets uh, Keith David to put the glasses on and he can see, you know, after they're done suplexing each other in the middle of this alley, and they're just walking down the street. The makeup is so good. Now I had read that a few that while fil- filming the fight scene. A few of the punches had actually landed, so I wonder how much of that was actually real swollen lips and busted, busted, you know, eyebrows and whatnot. But the makeup on these guys looked so good. I appreciated the the realism of a post-fight scene of just not, you know what I mean, just not. Yeah, even down like to the the bloody bite mark on his hand when he bites him in the hand, like you know that's still there, you know as they're, like, up and leaving and cleaning up when they get to the hotel. Oh, and that walk up those stairs is the <laughs> longest walk for those two individuals. They're just, like, <laughs> each step was just, like, walking a mile. They're just like, oh, God, no more, please. No more steps. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love the one-liner that Piper says. He just takes off the glasses. Just everything's swollen, everything's bruised, everything's bloody, and he just goes, ain't love grand. You know, he's like, and you know what he really wanted to say was, was why couldn't you have just put on the goddamn glasses, saved us, saved us 18 kicks to the balls, 14 suplexes, and about 157 punches later? You could have just put them on and just, like, listen to me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I call that the post-fight blues scene. <laughs> Tore the fuck up. And there's there's a moment where... Piper is relating a story to Keith David about his father and about running away from home when he was a, a teenager and whatnot, you know, and how his dad had tried to kill him, you know, threatened to kill him by putting a knife to his throat. And I don't know how much truth there was to this, but I had heard that that was a story. I read it somewhere. I don't remember where it wasn't Wikipedia or IMDb, but it was somewhere that that was a story that Piper had related to Carpenter while on set that had really happened to him. Mm. And it was something, because I do remember reading in part of Piper's uh, autobiography about, you know, running away from home when he was in his early teens due to abuse from his father, and that that story was the real deal. And it's Mm. fucking heartbreaking. And that, yeah, that's really the only glimpse you get into, like, you know, his character's, you know, background is that moment right there yeah where he yep. says you know i'm not daddy's little boy no more you know that's when you realize he's if anything you just realize he's a man that's not going to take anybody's shit ever again yeah 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 but uh i do have another question and this is probably going to be a given for for all for all of us but do you have a favorite character in the movie hmm <laughs> I don't know if this is one where I inordinately attached myself to any character. Like, if I'm actually, like, being honest. Like, I have definitely movies like that where, like, I enjoy them for sure. You know, I'm, like, really, really dig them. But don't, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I specifically actually have a favorite character, like, in this one. Which is, like, weird to think about. But, yeah, like, when I, like, pause, I, I'm like, yeah. It's like, I mean, I dig like the whole thing but yeah there was no one who was like ah that's like 
I do. I mean, of course, like I like fiber, you know, like, but it's, um, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> I never thought about it with that movie, but I guess I don't really particularly have a favorite. Um, I mean, yeah, kind of the same thing. I mean, I obviously, from a makeup standpoint, like I love all the aliens. And so like, and, and the thing I noticed specifically is they're not a hundred percent identical. Like they do have slight variants, you know, and it's not just the wig, it's actually the prosthetic. So there had to have been a multitude of prosthetics because they're not identical. Like they're not cookie cutter. <laughs> so they kind of have their own uniqueness to them. Yeah, I mean, I of course, Piper is a, a great character. I think the one that probably had the biggest impact on me, though, was the preacher. I think he stood out as one kind of initially you're like, oh, okay, he's just kind of a crazy guy. Um, and then kind of as the beginning part of that evolves, you see that he's much more um, involved and will be a bigger part of the story than just kind of, you know, the crazy Ralph kind of character in this, um, which I, I really enjoyed about kind of learning about the plot and the, the idea more through him. Yeah, if only I, more people would listen to the crazy Ralphs of the world. <laughs> listen to Ralph. moral, moral of the podcast today. Listen to the crazy Ralphs of the world. Right. Yeah, well, I, I, I love Piper and all, you know, uh, I, he's my favorite actor in the movie, but I think my favorite character is actually Frank. Uh, is this because, you know, with everything that he has seen and been through, he should not be trusting Piper character he should not have went along with him he should have never went and even went to that alley to give him the money let alone put on the glasses but i I felt like he his character was admirable you know that he was he was a guy that you know he met a guy he had a common bond with him they traded some stories and he stuck by his friend you know he was just uh i I just liked that character he was just you know he was uh, a stand-up guy and i can appreciate that And, and then again, probably the, my next favorite is probably the preacher, the street preacher, because he's just like I said. We need to listen to the crazy Ralphs of the world. They usually, you know, it's another Carlinism. You know, when you when you the, the crazy people know what they're talking about. It's the quiet one, you know, the the, the quiet ones that you you just ignore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the crazy people pick up on a whole lot more in this world than people give them credit for. So I'm say. Right. True. <laughs> But uh, let's see, what's the next scene we got here? The next real big scene after uh, they run back into uh, in that hotel where they're staying. <clears throat> and I kind of got the idea that they had been holed up there for a couple of days because, the, you know, they were they had bags of chips and corn puffs sitting around and beers everywhere. So I got I'm the so idea. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> Back into Peter Jason's character, he kind of brings them back into the fold of the the rebellion or the resistance, I guess you could call it. And I felt like I always felt like that was one minor hiccup of the movie. It just seemed really odd that he just happened to be hanging out in the lobby of that hotel. But, you know, it drives the plot forward so I can forgive it. But when they show up at the the resistance, you know, the 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 meeting and the bikers guy is just kind of standing out there like bro there's a new thing on the streets and he just points at his eyes you know and he just like hey 
he doesn't really tell them straight up that there's, you know, contact lenses. Now you don't need to be wearing your sunglasses at night, but they're not even taking any chances. They're running, they're walking down the street with their guns just out, right, right out in the open. <laughs> they're ready to. Not suspicious or anything. No, no. And it's not like everybody isn't looking for Piper all over the place anywhere for, you know, massacring, uh, you know, one, right. to, you know, people, you know, bank employees and whatnot. But, uh, you know, uh, I think Peter Jason's character says it best in this scene when he starts telling them that uh, there's humans that are being recruited by them. He's like, you know, we'll all do anything to be rich. You know, they'll pad our bank accounts to give us a, you know, uh, a, a, give us a break, you know, give, give us, a, you know, uh, a, a raise, you know, a promotion or whatnot. Anybody will do anything for money. And once again, that goes back into what you see the money really is, is this is your God. And I just, I, I love that part. Uh, but then Holly shows up. Fucking Holly. Like, again. <laughs> yeah, of um, course she does. You know. Course. Somebody put on the show. She'll be there with the resistance, you know. Yeah, when they start talking about where they need to figure out where the, uh, you know, where the signal's coming from. Right, right. And she just happens to be there. Just, yeah, like nobody knows, like Piper's red flags aren't going off that this this lady means trouble. Like, ah, uh, it, it, it's just, you know, I, I love the Piper character, but, you know, he was a little slow on the draw there to figure out what was going, what was really going on. But I call, I called it from the beginning, damn it. <laughs> and then, you know, and like, I think he was getting ready to profess his either he was going to confess something to her. They were going to talk, but then the explosion happens, which blows everything up all around them, but hurts nobody. It hurt, you know, yeah. one of those, like a team type explosions where it sends three, four people flying through the air. But other than a couple of bruises and a cut above the eyebrow, it does nothing to everybody. But then now it's not the assault on Shantytown, it's the assault on the rebellion. And it's just all, it's pretty much all out action from here on it, out. Yeah, and it was so A team. Like you, you nailed it when you said that. I, I was <laughs> like, it was like there's a lot of shooting going on, and then they're like not hitting people. Like the good guys aren't hitting anyone bad, you know. <laughs> right. But then like yeah, like but then when they do shoot people, it's like oh they got some good squib teams going on. Like the effects are like. Brah, brah. <laughs> But they took out the chalkboard, you know, they can't go anywhere or do anything without the chalkboard. So who knows where they're going to end up now. And when they get that, sh that shot, I mean, these people are armed, you know, for a ragtag, re ragtag rebellion, they are superbly armed, but they're it all. Kind of like, remind me the, um, uh, do you remember V, uh, the final battle, like V the series, the original Yes. Yeah. And, and, and like that whole underground resistance led by Michael Ironside. That's that's what that totally reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, it does. But yeah, it does kind of uh, is a bit reminiscent of V. Yeah, it would not have surprised me to see Michael Ironside pop up in this movie back in the day. Yeah. Been his alley. <laughs> but uh, you know, they they even talk about they give them the, those watches before everything goes to shit and they still don't know what the watches do or how they work. They figured out that there's a signal. They figured out there's aliens. They figured out how to see them and everything, but they still ain't got those pesky watches figured out. And, you know, when everything starts 
going to shit and everybody is split up. You know, Holly runs out in one direction. Frank and Piper run off in another and they're held up in like at the end of an alley. And they're just like spraying rounds. Like, again, it's very A-team-ish, very G.I. Joe kind of style. (laughs) You know, just spraying, you know, where the good guys are, you know, with them as the good guys, they're hitting their marks. But the SWAT team guys are kind of like fucking stormtroopers. They can't hit the broadside of a barn with an elephant. You know, they're hitting everything but their their target. And then, uh, now who is it? Uh, Now, I can't remember. Is it Piper or Keith David that tosses their their watch and it causes the porthole to open up? Like, I was trying to think if it got shot and it, like, malfunctioned because they were trying to fuck with it. But something happened while they were getting shot at, and they drop it on the ground, and then it starts to, like, you know, electricity comes out of it, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoop, a floor opens up. And so, like, I'm kind of thinking, because when you see all the, uh, well, not not that you see it often, the one alien who's just like, I'm out, and he's like, blip, and blips out of time. Does the time, because it's like, you've got ten seconds to get in, you know, down through the hole. And so, you know, my my thought was like, well, does it stop time in a bubble and give them a little like, okay, here's your exit hole and you have 10 seconds to drop down into the hole. Like where to the outside, you know, observer when he saw the one alien was like, blink, out of time, you know. I just kind of wonder if those watches had like multiple functions like that. One can make them blip out of time and the other would, you know, make them, you know, open up the porthole. That's why I had that question. I wasn't very clear they didn't really once uh they start raiding the the resistance and whatnot and everything kind of goes to hell in a handbasket it all happens so fast there's really no time to answer any of those questions they just kind of got to answer it on the fly which is where we get uh george buck flowers comes into play you know that son of a bitch I always kind of wondered with the portal though you know if it was like it could only stay open for so long and since they didn't jump in it right away, it was like a countdown timer of like, okay, you've only got this much time left since you assholes haven't jumped through it yet. Whereas the the alien guy was like, I know what this is. I'm jumping right in. Whoop. Yeah, yeah, that might have been. But uh, this is where we get a glimpse of the... Well, I'll let you take this, Marcus, since you, you noticed it and you, and you mentioned it before we started recording. <laughs> we get the aliens w- with uh, some leftover props. Yeah, so they jumped down. The two, you know, the hole opens up, and I don't know if it's to another location, because at first you think, oh, well, this just opens up to a sub-city, a subsurface city. But clearly they're not. There's, like, ballrooms down there where there's a gala event going on, and this news studio is there, and, you know, some other stuff. But and, So I don't know if it's, it's a portal to another location. I don't think it's directly under them. Um, but like, uh, yeah, they, they drop down and they're sneaking around through the tunnels and they're like, Whoa, what is this language? And there's like weird, you know, glyphs written on the signs. And then of course there's a very like ham fisted sign, uh, you know, intercom. If you can't read the, uh, signs, you know, these signs are bilingual or something like that. <laughs> but then they walk by like, you know, these like military, like, you know, kind of personnel <laughs> And they're like, oh, we got to sneak past them real quick. 
And, like, if you look at them, they're holding something that looks like a PKE meter, like, straight from <laughs> Ghostbusters. Just a different light array, but, like, the little thing they hold with the two wings that come up, and it's like, <laughs> with the lights. I was like, I was like, was this the prop person from, like, Ghostbusters? Like, oh, I had some leftovers. We could use these in this movie. <laughs> That's probably what it was. I bet if we looked into it, we could find out that it probably was the same. <laughs> guy from Ghostbusters. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but then when they, it, it just seems so happy, so by happy circumstance that, you know, well, one, uh, I, I'll have to preface this by saying, I don't know that I, I mean, I know that they were cornered and they were going to get shot up, but I don't know that I would have jumped on that hole. I don't know. I think my chances get... Like, well, we don't know where it's going, but we're going to find out, you know. I don't know that I would have went, but that's where they run into. I mean, they already look super conspicuous anyway, being down there anyway. They're obviously not part of the group, but they run into George Buck Flowers, who I have to say, for somebody who plays a transient in most of the movies that he's in, and he was already was one in this movie, he cleans up pretty well. Yeah, he's all in a suit, nice tux, and he's like, let me take you on a tour around the place. <laughs> Let me show you every small piece of advantage that we might have here. Yeah. Let me show you all of the exposition to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we have 15 minutes left. We need to fi- we need to like figure out where where this is heading and we're going to give you all the exposition here in like the next 120 seconds. <laughs> and you know, you know, and you get the idea, you know, when they run into that that, that ballroom kind of uh, event that they had going on, you got the idea that these were all, at least all the elite. These are all the people that were either the elite or they had sold out their fellow human beings for cash, because that's definitely what George Buck Flowers did. Oh, yeah, it's just a reward for all the people that have sold out their fellow human beings. Because he had made the the comment too of you know why are you dressed like that with the money that they're paying you now you could be dressed in these glamorous tuxedos. Yeah, and that ballroom that was a beautiful place. I would have loved to figure out where in the hell they shot that because that was a beautiful location. But, yeah, uh, I'm not actually like too too terribly sure where that was was shot at. I wonder if it still exists. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I would. I have to look into that. But yeah, beautiful location. I, I, my mind. Every time I see it, my mind races like the kind of scenario that I would film there myself. Because <laughs> yeah, I, whenever I drive around and go around anywhere, I don't. I don't see homes. I don't see businesses, and I see locations. But it's so eighties. Like it's just screams. Just the decorations, <laughs> the colors. The, the flowers everywhere, the the pink ruffled uh, curtains yeah. and everything. Yeah, the trim. Yep. It was, all it was missing was Tony Montana to pop, pop out of a corner with <laughs> wiping it, wiping you know, an eight ball from his upper lip. But uh, you know, and as George Buck Flowers says, you know, there's a mortal line. Well, only the rich will survive. So why not? You know, why why shouldn't we have a piece of the pie? And the next note I have is fucking George Buck Flowers. <laughs> you know, that's the biggest what the, not the biggest what the fuck moment of the movie, but it's just, you know, I think it's just seeing him in, in his suit with his hair actually like slicked back and looking all debonair and whatnot. It was, I think that was the biggest what the fuck moment. 
And but, shortly after that, we realized in just a few short years, in 2025, that it will be completely under their dominion. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Shit. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, about that. Um, <laughs> I'm being suspicious of anybody's bank account who suddenly grows wildly here. Over the next <laughs> you know, they sold us out. So you're saying if somebody comes up to you and says, put on these sunglasses, you're going to put them on? <laughs> I then? might have to start saying no to sunglasses from now on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are two changes. <laughs> Just put on the glasses. Why won't they put them on? You know, and the next thing I know, <laughs> no. I'm fighting you no. to put on the glasses. I'm like, honey, why did you bite me? Son of a bitch. Uh, but, you know, th- this is also a point, though, where I I love the scene where you kind of see where they're going off into, like, where they're traveling, like, interdimensional travel to, you know, go into the their their alien planet. The it's just... <laughs> What's that? Yeah, the spaceport sequence where they're like, you know, they, oh, here, this is where they, you know, travel back and forth through home. <laughs> and it's like, Phew. he's like, I don't know how they do it, though. <laughs> yeah, I love it. He's just like, it's like gravitational bending light. Or I, I'm just throwing science words together. <laughs> I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> he, he, I bet he probably writes uh, speeches for certain political figures, I'm sure. <laughs> science, 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 science. Science, 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 and science, science, yeah. science, and interdimensional travel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like showing them around everywhere, rocking them, them past all the security checkpoints, just getting them into the 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 ballroom getting them past the, the the space station, I guess you could say, and then right into the, uh, you know, the, the, the TV studio. I mean, like, I I mean, I get it, you know, it was a way to, to get them to, from that point of the rebellion kind of being dismantled to where they became insiders for a moment. But, like, how much, like, pull did George Buck Flowers really have in the short amount of time? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that, Part, part. He, he had just gotten there, what, like yesterday, and now he's all like, <laughs> yeah, these are my friends, I'll, I'll, I'll ask them, I'll get you in. Well, hell, they just showed these guys around within the hour of being there, so who knows who showed him around yesterday. Yeah. He's like, look at the cool shit I found out, this is great. Yeah, they they, they were all very loosey-goosey with their stuff. The, the fact that they were able to keep it secret for so long uh, was <laughs> kind, of, kind of a miracle. <laughs> But, you know, I, I felt like there was one missed opportunity for them to, you know, he shows them the ropes, show, showed, showed them everywhere until they decided to, you know, break cover and shoot the two guards in the, in the back of the studio. But they should have just taken out George Buck Flowers. That was, that was the one moment where I was just like, you know, I wanted to see the little Weasley bastard get his. That, that was the one kind of shortcoming of the movie. Like I just wanted to see them cap him. I did love the fact that Piper was leading him around by his scraggly ass beard there for a couple of minutes. Oh yeah, just grabbed him by his scruff and was like, "Come here." Oh, <laughs> uh, but but then you know it's it's pretty much straight up action from here on out. It's a, a lot of stormtrooper and as I call it, you know the good guys keep in, in interacting with the uh, the bad guys and they're just machine gunning them left and right with guns that never run out of ammo. But yeah, and never hit the good guys. Yeah, yeah, they never hit the yeah. good guys, and that you know, in the bag. I mean, they, they it's it's very a teamish. You know, I know I've, I've used that term already a couple of times. It's very a teamish, very uh, GI Joe ish, but 
you know, it, again, it was 1988, so, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Now, when we get them going through the, you know, the the uh, Cable 54 station, and they're trying to find Holly, and it's really, I, I, every time I watch this, I always want to say, just shoot her, <laughs> just shoot her, woman means trouble, and she ain't, she ain't, she ain't going to help you out at all. But the moment the where they're... She, yeah, the way she turns, like, man, it's dark when it happens. It's quick. Yeah, she, she just, like, comes up behind him and just, like, you don't see it, but you're like, oh, this evil bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this evil bitch just capped Frank right in the back of the head. And, you're, like, and like I said, you know, you don't see it, but you, you know what happened. Yeah. And I do love the little standoff between... Uh, Piper and her when she's trying to, you know, tell him like, listen, there's nothing you can do about it. Just come downstairs and we'll talk. We'll we'll figure something out, you know. And uh, you know, and Piper's stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, is either expose everybody for what it is and, and die, or you know, become one of them. And uh, I think we all know where this goes. Mm-hmm. Piper, Piper doesn't become one of them. He yeah. take, he takes out Holly with one shot. Bears down on that, uh, you know, that satellite, and as he s- so eloquently says, "Fuck it." Yeah, and- fuck, flicks flicks him off. He gets shot as he lays there dying. The fucking, you know, the signal goes down, and the rest of the world can finally see what they were looking at. <laughs> and I, I I love when they start showing the 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 kind of montage, mm-hmm. the montage sequence where you got, you know. The obvious, you know, Siskel and Ebert talking about Sam Raimi and George Romero and John Carpenter. Uh, you know, a little, little bit meta right there. Mm-hmm. You know, that shot, you know, of uh, the girl that's riding the guy and he just, she looks down and kind of confused and he's an alien and he just looks up and says, hey, what's wrong, baby? And boom. <laughs> it, oh, know. she didn't have sex for a long time after that. <laughs> you know, she <laughs> Lots of therapy. <laughs> there you go, honey. Fuck you formaldehyde face. <laughs> <laughs> Work is never done. Well, there you go, honey. You know, if uh, something like this ever happened, you'd have uh, people, you know, come to you for therapy for for eons. <laughs> That's the beauty. I'll never be out of a job. Okay. Now, this is probably, uh, I have a two-point question that I, I got to ask here now that the we've kind of ran the whole... The, the whole movie to an end. Do I think I know the your guys' answer to this one, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you feel that this still has the same relevance today as it did in the 80s, or, or even is it even more relevant now than it more was? More relevant now than ever, you know. There, <laughs> I, I definitely think, you know, people should watch this. Like, you take the aliens away, and that's literally the society we live in. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's we're we're born and bred to be consumers. So someone else makes all the money, mm-hmm. and you know the middle class is going away, and we're just getting poorer and poorer and poorer to where we're going to be in shanty towns. But like the rich, they're just going to get richer. <laughs> that's how it's always been. Yeah, I think that it it does really point to just how society has, like, 
been structured for like the, the longest time so it's it's absolutely like still relevant and you know the reason why people were able to write books like 1984 you know back in the day and then this like short story in the 60s and these movies like in the 80s is is because it's like you know you can see the writing on the wall <laughs> to put a fine point on it you know and uh yeah it's a a very important film to like i think take in now more than ever yeah like i don't think george orwell was like you know psychic he looked at the past and said okay this is the trajectory we're on and here's what possibly could be our future and he wasn't wrong, you know, and and I think like, you know, with a film like this it was like looking at the past and kind of where we were at that point, like, where would we be in the future? And I think, you know, it's it was painting a picture, a very prophetic picture. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, one of the things that they talk about kind of as he, they're getting the tour around that facility, too, is you know, it's, there's no longer really countries, it's just businesses. And I think, you know, that's just so true with some of the globalism that we have at this point, you know, we've got just global giants like Amazon, you know, that, you know, they can distribute and go anywhere and they're making, like we said, billions of dollars a day, you know, putting the small businesses out of business. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And then, you know, I also think about, you know, just some of the just the amount of like crazy conspiracy theory things that are out there nowadays and just some, just how well they lined up with, with some of the things in this movie too, you know, between like the 5g and like the lizard people taking over government things. And, you know, some of those things that are just so spot on the nose (laughs) that show up in this movie. Mm -hmm. Definitely relevant. Uh, I agree with the three of you on every level. Uh, I I think the relevance of this, if people can't see the relevance of this, you know, in our society today, then they're the type that would not put on the glasses. You know, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Sometimes science science fiction becomes science fact, as they say. Yeah. And Uh, I think, I think, uh, I mean, where we're headed, like, I think a lot of people, in a metaphorically sense, like they don't want to put on the glasses to see the direction we're headed, you know? Oh yeah. I think they, yeah. (laughs) Black mirror is another great thing that I think like paints a accurate portrait of like our very near future. Yes. Yeah. I think I agree with you. There's a lot of parallels I think between this and, and what black mirror developed into. Yeah. Now, my the second part of this uh, question is, do you think if something like this were to happen today, if the, to say if, the, if, again, science fiction became science fact, do you think anybody would buy it? Do you think anybody would buy it, or would they just think that it was a big joke, that it was just, quote-unquote, you know, special effects and the glasses were all just a trick? Do you think people would buy it? I don't think people would buy it. Uh, There was a time where I think, like, yeah, sure, people would, like, largely, like, uh, buy it. But, you know, after this past year when we can't even convince people that a fucking, like, virus is real, I'm like, no, no, people wouldn't buy it and we would completely get overtaken. Like, I I have, like, no more faith in humanity. Yeah, I don't have much faith in humanity. (laughs) 
Yeah, three votes on that. This year has proved that humans are idiots. Um, they, even if there was proof straight in the face, you would still have people that wouldn't believe you. And yeah, nope. it'd be somebody that'd be like, "Where's the seam? I can fi- I can find a seam in the makeup right here." You know, right? As they're getting their face like eaten off, like, "Oh no, it's still in effect." You know, so yeah, no people really are like that fucking stupid. So yeah. I- <laughs> I don't think they'd buy it at all. <laughs> well, I think we've probably exhausted about every resource we possibly can for this. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into, uh, for our final uh, moment here, to get into your final thoughts and a rating on a scale from 1 to 10. So go ahead and take it, guys. Oh. Yeah, I think, I don't know, like, it, it it had been so long since I had seen it, like, you know, I, of course, remember what it was all about, like, you know, the Obey, like, you know, I mean, you just kind of know what it was, but watching it again with fresh eyes and, like, today's current political climate, it's like, damn it, this is so spot on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so no, I, I give it a 10 in that regard, like, I was just like, this film holds up. There's a lot of films from the 80s that just don't hold up, and this one does. I'm going to be slightly more critical <laughs> on this one. Um, I know Marcus is laughing at me because I always have to be, you know, it's what I do for a living. I have to be harsh on movies. Um, no, um, it's, uh, I I would definitely put this one at a solid 8. Um it is not my favorite John Carpenter film, um, as awesome as I think that it is still and definitely holds up. Um, there's still, I, I don't even know how to articulate it properly, but it's, I think there's still like some room that it could have been like improved upon, especially at the point where he was at in his career when he made it. And so I am going to be the curmudgeony film critic and, and give it an eight, which is still a very high mark for me, but but I, I, I'm going to be that person. <laughs> I, I feel like you're awfully harsh on your eight there. Like that's still like, like in it movie. Um, yeah, still love it. <laughs> you know? It's out of love. It's like, I love you, but I wanted more from you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think it, it's a great movie. It's not my favorite John Carpenter movie either, but it's it ranks very high up there. Um, I, I think re-watching it too, like you had said, Marcus, just in today's climate, there were so many things that just kind of hit me and made me just like nervous laugh watching it the other day. I'm just like, <laughs> oh God, that's where we're at now. Um, but I think it it really added something to the film um, that I didn't remember watching when we weren't living in awful political times and a pandemic. Um, <laughs> and so I think probably the context also helped it for me too. Um, but I still gave it a nine. Um, I think, you know, there are, there are parts where I would have liked to have known a little something about him besides just, you know, this kind of weird, sad story you added in the middle about his childhood that I felt like if you were going to say anything about him. That isn't what I would pick to talk about. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I think it's a, a great movie. Oh, yeah, I'm, I, I can't quite give it a 10. Uh, I don't know. You're probably expecting a 10 out of me, honey, I but, was. uh, you know, I'm giving it a nine and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, for nostalgia reasons, I love this film. I love Roddy Piper. I, I love Carpenter's music, and I love everything about it. There's just a few little bits and pieces. I would have loved to, again, I would have loved to have known a little bit more about Nada's character. I would have liked a little bit more, like, exposition, like, on the aliens and what they were there. Like, maybe if there would have been a scene with an alien overlord, you know, that was in charge of, of things, would have brought it up to a full 10 for me. You know, but still, it's it's just shy of being perfect, and I think it's, uh, we've used the term prophetic uh, several times over the evening, but I think that's a, a, a good good word for it. It's aged very well, uh, like you had said, Marcus, you know, and uh, that the, a lot of movies of the 80s did not age well. This aged, <laughs> this aged a lot better than most, you know. Yeah, Garbage Pail Kids, the movies, did not <laughs> age well. That movie, Baby, did not age well. <laughs> Masters of the Universe. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, we should we should cover that one night. Just do, you should do a canon month. Yeah, <laughs> we can do that. We have the power. I know people. I know a guy that knows a guy. But, uh, yeah, this, this has been a fun romp. I've enjoyed talking to uh, th- this movie with you folks. Uh, I, I knew you were the right people to bring in for this one. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's a great movie, a great time. And for those of you that are listening at home, if you haven't seen it, we've completely ruined the entire movie for you. Uh, <laughs> You should have stopped this podcast at about the 15-second mark and went to watch the movie. But if you haven't watched this or you haven't watched it in a long time, I I, like, I beg you. Beg yeah, just, just go and find it. Watch it. Watch it on a good double bill with something like, you know, Big Trouble in Little China. And uh, But, yeah, this was a great – it marked off a great trilogy for John Carpenter. You know, we have Big Trouble Little China, uh, Prince of Darkness, and then this. And then, unfortunately, after this came uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which unless somebody begs me to do that for uh, Carpenter Appreciation Month, I'm not going to be covering that one. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. How did I – how did I – that's not the Chevy Chase Invisible Man, is it? Oh yeah, yeah. That's John. What? Carpenter. That was Carpenter. Yeah, that was what he followed. <laughs> that's what he followed this up with three years later. How the fuck did I not know that was Carpenter? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Learned even something new every day. That's crazy. Even Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, that he made There's a lot of great stuff, but a couple of bombs like uh, the Ward. Ooh, ooh, that's a roughie. You know, like the the one that stands out to me that there's one that uh, that was really really bad that I I could could not get into was the Village Damned remake. That was just uh, that was oh, boring. Yeah, Patty did that too. Like the Ghost of Mars, I keep forgetting was a Carpenter one. You know, and I think I might be alone on this earth, but I think I'm, I probably am alone on this earth on this opinion. I like Ghost of Mars. 
I really do. And I, I, I've admitted that on, this will be the second podcast <laughs> I've admitted that on. And it's surprised somebody hasn't put a hit off on me yet for it. But I like Ghosts of Mars. Oh. You know? I think that was, like, may have been one of the last ones I ever saw at the drive-in. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that being said, do you guys uh, have anything that you would care to plug before we sign off for the evening? Anything uh, new that you got going on? Where can people find you? Uh, the Book of Faces, <laughs> for me, that's pretty much my only thing. I don't really do any other of the social medias. Um, and currently, I'm finishing re-editing Beyond Horror, uh, which is our documentary on extreme films, the history of extreme films, red films. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> re-editing that, because we... We had a snafu with a hard drive that died, and I lost the whole thing. <laughs> Ugliness ensued. <laughs> I mean, yeah, every editor's nightmare happened. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, that was, that was brutal. Um, I have a, a variety of things going on, but once again, I'm in this very, like, can't I can't about talk it. about it, which I know I just, like, sound so, like, lady of mystery, like, when you have me on these things. But, um, I, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know um, at what point we'll be at in the project um, when this airs, so I can't blab about the biggest thing that I'm doing. Um, I have started, though, a sort of new little venture of rebranding, <laughs> and I am now on um, Instagram and Twitter under Acid Goth forever all one word and um it's a lot of uh, photography and newsletters and weird short films and just fun weird content for everyone's perusing pleasure <laughs> now i had seen that uh, you had posted on facebook here one of you i can't remember which but you had a, a new movie that just came out that you had done uh, special effects on here recently right yes actually uh, a movie that marcus and i did um where the lead Effects artist yeah, on coming up playing at um, South by Southwest in March, and it's called Jacob's Wife, and it's directed by Travis Stevens, who um, he's been a producer for a very long time, but did a Girl on the Third Floor most recently. Yeah, um, and stars Barbara Crampton, the awesome, wonderful, awesome, amazing Barbara Crampton. We love Barbara. <laughs> and Larry Fessenden, and there's a lot of blood. Lots of blood. <laughs> Two things I love in a horror movie. Lots of blood <laughs> and Robert Crampton. They go well <laughs> hand in hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you pretty much expect if you see Barbara Crampton in the movie, there's going to be lots of screaming and lots of red stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that being said, I want to thank the two of you for coming on and uh, spending a couple hours uh, getting nostalgic with, with us about Roddy Piper and John Carpenter movies. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having us. Well, uh, folks, this, you have once again been listening to Cinema Degeneration's John Carpenter Appreciation Month, and this has been They Live. Remember, they live, we sleep. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. Oh, shit.